Hey, what's good, y'all? It's me again, Chanae. Before I get started, I hope that everyone had a very happy Father's Day. Shout out to the one and only Peter Ogumake. Love you, pops. As always, I'll be on here every Tuesday on the ESPN YouTube channel, and you can check out past episodes like the one we just had with Baron Davis wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, check me and Mike Gold Jr. out on ESPN Radio, 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Now, there has been a lot going on, y'all. Summertime is officially here, yes, which means that we are in the midst of the NBA playoffs, and dun-dun-dun, it is that time to finally get set for the Summer Olympics that are right around the corner in Tokyo. Olympians are in the process of getting qualified and selected right now. To take us behind the scenes of that process, in a few moments we will be chatting with U.S. Women's National Team, FIFA World Cup champ, and Portland Thorns soccer star Crystal Dunn. So here's what you need to know today. The 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games were postponed to this summer, and it looks like it is full steam ahead. Now, the main challenge has, of course, been the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and it has already showed its impact on the competition and on the athletes. For Japan, there has been a lot of apprehension in creating a safe environment given the circumstances. 10,000 of their volunteers have dropped out citing such concerns. And as of Monday, June 21st, vaccinations for adults under 65 have finally started. But there is cautious optimism that the games can successfully be held. And that brings us to this week. Amazing qualifying performances from Shakari Richardson, she's that girl, Allison Felix, Simone Biles, Simone Manuel. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and James Harden have all made their commitments. And the roster is set for USAB's women's team. Yes, I have some more thoughts about that, but I'll share that a little bit later. And last but not least, there has been a team that has made a lot of waves on and off the field. The reigning World Cup champs out for Olympic redemption after getting knocked out of the quarterfinals in 2016. And we are going one-on-one with their versatile star, Crystal Dunn, NWSL MVP, two-time champ, number one overall pick, and founder of the Black Women's Player Collective, and mom to five chickens and three cats. Here we go. So Crystal, I usually put this at the end, but because you are so multifaceted, I want to put this in the beginning. We're starting with Nobody Knows, and I want you to tell everyone something that nobody knows about you, and it has to start with your animals. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) All right. Put me on the spot. Goodness gracious. Okay. Well, I am a proud owner of five chickens and three cats. My household is wild. Um, Every morning I wake up, I'm very concerned that I'm going to step on an animal in my house. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's such a cool, quirky thing about me. I feel like everyone I meet is like, what do you mean you have five chickens? And everyone who knows me knows I'm a New Yorker. I'm from a city. um, And they're kind of like, who are you? (laughs) Why do you have five chickens? Like, you know, but I think it's cool. (laughs) Okay. I know that one of your cat's name is Fenty, which I believe that is one of the best names ever because we are a team Rihanna over here. And can you list the names of like the cats and the chickens? All of their names were originally supposed to be something from a shared experience of me and my husband. But now when I look at it, all of them are kind of just about him. So (laughs) it's Toulouse. That's the city where my husband is from. Um, Chelsea, we both support Chelsea FC. So that's a shared. Um, Quinny, or Quinn, my husband went to Quinnipiac University. So 
again, point for him. Um, Juke is an all black uh, chicken. And my husband had a Nissan Juke and it was a stick shift. And I made fun of him oh for gosh. so long because who has a stick shift? That's not like a Corvette in the US. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> and the last one is, oh my gosh, Tulsa. Oh, and Rocky, because she was the biggest chicken when we got her. And I was like, you're going to bully everybody else. And she was just huge. But yeah, so Rocky. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Is it true that, you know, with your chickens that you deliver fresh eggs to your teammates? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize this. I got now that I have five. I'm like, they each lay an egg every day. So by like Wednesday of the week, I have like three dozen eggs. And I'm just like, what am I going to do with these? So it's actually really nice. My teammates love them. They're always lined up line up wanting to have them so I'm just I feel like I have a little farm to run you know yo I did not know that about chickens that they lay an egg every day you should get some girl I'm gonna just eat I'm gonna just have some of yours your eggs so when I come see you in Portland you're too busy you have like such a busy life that I'm like you really just yeah you're doing your thing That's the pot calling the kettle black, girl. You just as busy, too, balancing the U.S. Women's National Team and also now becoming a member of the Portland Thorns. Shout out to scoring your first goal. How did it feel to see that one go in? Um, It felt like a bit of relief. You know, I feel like joining a new team, there's always so much pressure. It's like, you know, big signing. Crystal Dunn's here. Like, you know, is she gonna be able to like impact this team and things like that and I feel like I went five games without scoring or assisting and I kind of it it was weighing on me a bit and my first goal was a pretty nice one so I'm pretty excited and happy about it but scoring goals isn't easy so I just I try not to really put that much pressure on myself because it is the hardest part of the game there's a reason why you know scoring goals it's where all the money is made basically so um I just yeah I go in with just as much stress-free as I possibly can and getting that first goal was was really great for me you bring up something that I totally relate to you know having to transition teams I went from the Connecticut Sun to the LA Sparks you you know going from North Carolina now to Portland uh how was that decision for you how hard was it for you to make that move yeah it was a really hard decision because I really wanted to leave solely because I missed my husband. Uh, We were married for like three years at the time and never lived together and just didn't spend any time together. And I think I just hit a point in my, in my career where I was like, being on a successful team is so important and I love winning and I love winning championships, but I'm missing so many years and and valuable time to spend, you know, with my loved ones. And um, it just got to me. And I think one day I just, I wanted to have that conversation with my current coach at the time. And I you know, let them know, like, it has nothing to do with the team or, or just being here in this environment. But it was more so me searching for something that I, you know, couldn't get by staying in North Carolina and living so far from my husband. What is what is in that water in Portland where you guys get so many fans? Girl, it is crazy the support that you guys get. I think a, a lot of people don't understand where women's sports is, where the direction it's moving, the momentum it has. And a great example of that is Portland. How has that culture been? I mean, I it is incredible. I really wish I can explain why the city is the way it is. But all I can say is it's a close-knit community. And I think it's so important for, you know, the community in which you live in, the city that you live in, to really just be on board and just understand that sports is sports. It doesn't matter if it's female sports, women's sports, or men's sports. It's people showing up to support the local sports team there, you know? And I think that's really the vibe that I get in Portland is, you know, the men get 
you know, the same amount of fans as us. We have like a shared community, a shared fan base. And I think it's so cool because people are basically showing up to both support the men and the women, not caring who's playing. They're like, oh, it's Portland written across their chest. That's all I need to know. I'm showing up. So it really is an incredible environment. It's, you know, we, we really are the pinnacle, I would say, of women's sports because we average like 20,000 fans a game, you know, and obviously due to COVID. One more time, Crystal. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Say it one more time for the people in the back. This city averages 20,000 fans a game for the women's side. And it's just, it's so incredible. And now we're at 80% capacity. So it's, you know, we're almost at that normal feeling of, you know, life is returning back. But I mean, it's incredible. We really are, I think, the pinnacle of, of women's soccer. And, and you know what I love? You you mentioned two things, being on a successful team and then also having that equality of existence as an athlete. And you're experiencing that in Portland. But I think a lot of that conversation really hit a tipping point in 2019, girl, with the World Cup. Y'all went from being a team to being a team full of celebrities almost overnight winning the World Cup. Can you tell me what it was like in preparation that build up to that moment? Yeah. So I was obviously, um, I fell short of being on that 2015 roster, but the pressure going into 2015 was obviously wanting to win that World Cup because we hadn't won in 15 years. And so the pressure was one way leading into that World Cup. And then 2019 comes around and I'm a part of the roster. Yay, I'm so proud of myself for making that team. And the pressure was then, it was just different. It was different pressure because it was about defending that title and winning it two times in a row. So I think that is really why there was, um, you know, so much fame, I feel like that came after 2019 because we had won it back to back. You know, it's a different vibe when you do something, you know, once, but then you do it, the second time in a row, it's kind of like, people are like, are you guys basically just, you know, legendary? Like, you know, the, you know, those are some of the names that were like being thrown around. And obviously I'm like, relax. It's not easy to win, even though we make it look easy at times. Like it is incredibly challenging to win a world championship. It's, it's hard to be successful on the women's national team because everything is a challenge. You know, every, we have a huge target on our back. Everyone throws their best game at us every single um, time we play against them. And I just think 2019 was so um, just incredible in so many ways because we were able to do it back to back, but just the amount of pressure that was on us to do it was, was so crazy. Um, so I'm so happy we were able to bring it home. Girl, <laughs> if you don't tell the people why you really had pressure, so you were playing against France in France and your husband is French. <laughs> yes. There How was did you a, balance that too? I told him though, I said, listen, the divorce papers are lined up if you do not root for me in that World Cup. So he knew obviously <laughs> not to root against me, but um, no, I know he was probably torn, but he obviously was so happy we won. And it was, it was a huge moment, you know, playing France in France in the quarters. It wasn't even the finals. Like we were so far away from the finals having to uh, get over the hurdle of France. And I mean, everything about the World Cup was just drama, 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 one stage to another. We had no easy route. And I think that's really why at the end of the day, we were like this, how did we, thank you. Yes. <laughs> And what about the dialogue that was happening outside? I know uh, Megan Rapino was dealing with a lot of it, but how did you guys maintain your focus with all of the outside noise? Yeah, I think um, 
what really helped the team um, once we got in Europe and we were preparing for the World Cup was shutting out all the outside noise. You know, for us, we were like, we are the team. We are the ones that um, are leaning on each other to get the job done. And it's not about what people are saying outside. I think a lot of us deleted social media. I was not on Twitter. I wasn't on Instagram. I was like, if I post something, it's strictly a post and like, get rid of it, you know? And I think it made all the difference for me. That was my first major tournament as like a starter too. So my focus was very much on forget what everybody else is saying. I mean, there was obviously some chatter about me and my individual role of, of playing outside back a position that I hadn't played at on that stage. Um, and so I just, I refused to let anything get to me. I was kind of like, I'm here for a job. I'm here to get it done. And that's really what my focus is. So I just think shutting out the outside noise was, was so um, important for us. Now, can you sort of bring up a little bit more into that positional battle that you have to deal with by yourself? Because a lot of people label you as versatile because for the Thorns, you play midfield. Mm -hmm. But like you said, for the national team, you play outside back. How are you able to balance those two worlds, compartmentalize? Because I don't think we see many athletes that have to play such different positions, have different roles, and you still deliver time and time again. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say it does not get easier. Um, I feel like I've always been a versatile player. So every year I step into a new season, a new year with the national team. And it, I think for me, it's just, it just comes down to simplifying the game. You know, I try to look at it as, I'm, you know, regardless of my position on the field, it's the same sport, right? You know, I want to have a clean touch. I want to be technical. I want to be tactical. Um, I value possession. So those are things that stay with me regardless of where I am on the field. And then obviously there's, there's different tactical, uh, you know, abilities that I need in order to be the best outside back I can be, or be the best midfielder I can be. But, um, you know, like I said, I think it's just simplifying the game. Um, it does take a bit of time to adjust when I go back into national team camp and I'm asked to, you know, mark fast, speedy, uh, forwards. I'm kind of like, okay, I need couple of reps. I need a couple of days to kind of get myself sorted, but it always just takes a couple of reps. And then I'm kind of right back in there and uh, feeling confident and comfortable. Well, let me give you your flowers because you are doing it so well. <laughs> like Thanks, for bro. those who don't know, it's being asked like to play center on one team versus point guard for yes. another, like completely different roles, different strategies, different ways you move yes. and approach the game. And that's what you're doing yeah. when it comes to soccer. So it's so impressive. Girl, <laughs> now, you know, we all love seeing the videos of the celebrations from the victory tour. But what do you think was your favorite moment from the aftermath of winning? Um, I think it's so funny because I've been on a lot of successful teams and like, I love winning. I literally, everywhere I go, I'm like here to win. I refuse to be on a team where I'm like, okay, we're just showing up to try our best. Like, no, we're showing up to like win, right? And I just feel like every big stage I've been on, the success goes so quick. Like, you know, by the time the final whistle blows and you're hoisting up a trophy, you're kind of in that moment celebrating. And then you kind of feel like you're, you're back square one, like shortly after. Um, I remember winning, playing in that final game in the World Cup. It was on a Sunday. And the very next Sunday, one week later, I was back in my club team playing in an NWSL game. So by the time I like won a World Cup and was a world champion, I was like, I don't even have that much time to really 
let it all sink in, you know, and, you know, enjoy that moment and then take some time to really just step away from, from the sport. I kind of was like, yeah, 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 we won. Boom. I'm back in it. <laughs> so it goes, it goes really quick. And it's not to say that I'm not grateful to, to have had so much success in my career, but it is something that comes really quickly and, and it, and it goes even faster. There has to be like some moment though, you hold on to from, you know, the aftermath. I think, I mean, yeah, the night, the night of winning, I would say, because all of our family and friends were there. Um, that is something that I'm going to miss knock on wood in the Olympics. Should we win a gold medal? Like we won't have family and friends there. And I think that moment after the world cup in France, having our families meet us in this after party section that was only for us. Um, and it was just so special because a lot of us don't even get to see our family like ever in those moments, in those, in those events. I think I saw my parents once or twice when I was there for like a whole month and a half. So to really have that moment where we can catch up and just enjoy that um, experience together is, you know, those moments you, you can never put a price tag on. That's, that was probably the best part of it all. Okay, so you bring up two things, the national camp in preparation for Tokyo, the Olympics, but then also how quickly you had to turn things around within a week from being at that pinnacle back with your team competing in the NWSL. And that's absolutely re relatable to a women's basketball player because we play overseas. Yes. You can win a championship in the WNBA and then report to your overseas team within a week. Usually that's like contractual. You got a week. <laughs> Which is nuts. Can you sort of highlight the differences you experience as a top tier player slash celebrity on this amazing national team and the everyday experience of someone playing in the NWSL? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the, the biggest difference is you really feel like you are you have two full time jobs. You know, you can't even say that they are part time jobs because I just feel like the amount of time that I dedicate to the national team is very equal to the time that I dedicate to my club teams, you know, and um, it, it feels like you're pulling double duty. You don't have any time off. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and as I've gotten older, I've really, really wanted my time off. I think when I'm young, when I was younger and I was really trying to like fight so hard to have my, my spot on the national team, I was like, no days off. Like I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to, you know, to get there, be seen and, and get on that squad. But I think as I've gotten older, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really working with three weeks off a year maybe if that, and it always comes around the holidays. So it's like, yay, it's around the family time where I can, you know, see everybody, but then it's like quick turnaround J January 6th, we're back in for like a full month kind of training camp. So it goes so quick. And as I've gotten older, I'm definitely like uh, pulling double duty is, is, is really hard. It's challenging. You don't get the time off. You don't get the experiences of seeing loved ones at the end of a long season. It's kind of like you see them in passing and then you're like, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> Yo, so I what you just said was amazing, but I just finally heard the New York and you as you were saying off. Ball, and then on top ball, of it, I'm looking ball, at you. Coffee. Uh, yeah, there's some words that pop out. <laughs> and then I see you with the, your nice little crew neck sweatshirt, the bling and the hoops. Very big New York energy. Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, three weeks is not a long time. Yeah. Imagine doing your job and not being able to be there with your family and friends for that extended amount of time. Again, very relatable for us, yeah. but that's not the normal path of a professional athlete, especially that of the men. Mm -hmm. In this national team training camp, what is that buildup in preparation for this Olympics? Because for 
you all, it's probably the motivation you're seeking is redemption mm -hmm. based on the last time out, losing in the quarterfinals. Like that focus, what is it like in camp preparing for Tokyo in a year that we are just now emerging from the pandemic? Yeah. So, I mean, everything has been so different um, this time around, obviously due to COVID, we basically are in a bubble. You know, we're, we're we, when I go into camps, I'm basically in phase one of the pandemic where it's like, you can't see anybody. You're basically only around your teammates, only around the staff. You basically travel to the to the um, field and you travel back to the hotel and that's it. And that will be my life for um, a month and a half um, until we get back from the Olympics. So um, it's a bit of, you know, it's going to be mentally draining. You know, it's 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 basically how the NBA did their bubble. The, the WNBA did their bubble last year. That is basically the life that we will be uh, living for the next month and a half. And it'll be challenging. But I think everyone understands that the focus is winning a gold medal. Like you cannot put anything above that. And even if you try, uh, you know, somebody will be there to correct you and, rem and remind you that um, the, the most important thing, the top priority is doing what's best for the team in order to help the team win. And and what did that last Olympic experience, what is, is that still fresh on the team's mind? As I've sort of alluded to, like, is that the primary focus, how everyone's galvanizing right now? Yeah, I think there it, for sure is, is, you know, a bad taste in everyone's mouth who was a part of the 2016 um, Olympic roster. I mean, there, there's no way of, you know, going around that, obviously. Um, I think we've thought less and less of it since um, we're under a new coach. We obviously playing are playing a bit of a different style. Um, things are a little bit different now, obviously, but, you know, best believe when we get into the Olympics, you know, we're going to be reminded that we left way too early last time around and it's going to be burning inside of a lot of us. So, but we're going to use it in a, in a positive way. You know, it's going to fuel us in um, a healthy way for us to understand that, you know, we have to show up every single day. It does. It's not enough to say we are the U.S. women's national team. We have to go out every single day, every single game and um, really perform. Yeah. And I think especially as women, you have that added pressure that you want to deliver for the next generation. And this team has gone above and beyond that standard, has been the standard for so many young girls that aspire in sports. But you've also had a big role in that shift in pushing you know, diversity and representation. Can you talk to me about the Black Women's Players Collective and how you started that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the Black Women's Player Collective kind of originated as just you know, a support group, you know, um, it's, it's not a surprise. No one, you know, should be surprised by what I'm about to say, but, you know, women's soccer is still predominantly white. Um, we don't have a lot of, uh, representation in this sport. And after all the events that took place last year, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, um, the list goes on and on. That was when the black players in the NBC got together and said, we need to form a group where we feel like people can, come and vent. People can have a space where they can feel uh, heard and be seen. And we don't always feel that way in our league. So let's come together and, and figure out a way to make this happen. So that's originally how the, the group was formed. And then we realized um, with our voices, with our leverage, with our platforms, um, you know, we can really push in initiatives and mobilize um, the league in a way that has never been mobilized before. Um, so fast forward, we are a nonprofit. Um, we are really focused on elevating the image and the representation of black athletes, but obviously specifically black soccer players. And, um, it's been life-changing to really be a part of a group and, and get to really know 
more of the players in the league. You know, it's actually really nice. It's been a way for us to kind of have like a, almost like a book club in a sense. Like we meet every week. Um, I get to know all the young um, black players that are coming into the league and actually be able to help them more than I ever thought I've been able to help them before. And um, it, I think it's really just incredible and we have so much more work to do, but um, we're starting. That's amazing. That is really inspiring. And it's funny because I always tell people, like people think when there are big issues or places that we're trying to improve, oh, you have to do something grand. You just have to do what you have, what you can with what you have where you are. Exactly. You know, and, and you've done exactly that. I'm trying. There's so many problems in the world, but like you said, it's kind of like, I'm just going to stick to what I know. I'm a black soccer player. So how can I help other black soccer players feel like they are existing, existing in a space that is, is meant for them, even though they don't feel that way, but how can we make them feel even more comfortable and more welcomed in, in a beautiful sport such as soccer? So um, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Girl, you are not only a fantastic professional athlete, but you are also a businesswoman because you've just had so many deals coming left, right, and center. And I think it's so important to highlight them because this should be the standard, you know, not looking past the typical or usual face that we have come to expect with sports, but putting the face that is doing the work front and center. Yes. And now your resume professionally includes MasterCard, where the money resides. <laughs> and also TheraBody. Mm -hmm. How has it been being able to engage with brands in this unique way? Um, it really has been incredible to, you know, really challenge sponsors and, and brands to really, you know, change the narrative and not just go with the, the face of soccer that has existed for all of eternity. You know, I think um, that's really what I've tried to do in these last couple of years is really, um, you know, advocate for for black athletes to be the face of of brands, because there's no reason for um, brands obviously to push that narrative and continuously do so because we're in this time, we're in this like amazing, incredible time right now where I feel like, you know, it is the year of black women. It is, it is time for us to be seen and to be heard. And I think that's really what my biggest message was coming out of 2020 was, Hey, I've been here. I'm not doing anything different. Um, now all of a sudden people want to feel like, Oh, you know, Crystal Dunn, she's, you know, who is she? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, I've been on the team for 10, 11 years now, like I'm, I'm not new, but yet they still wanted to push others in front of me. And I just think, you know, enough was enough. And I was really excited to uh, have an agent that advocates for me and really works extremely hard for me to, you know, have my image out there. And I think it's time. And like I said, I'm such an advocate for more representation in women's um, sports and, and soccer in general. And I think getting brands on board, MasterCard and TheraBody, they truly do believe in the image of Black athletes. And it's been incredible to work with them. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Snaps for that. No, Crystal, we really are impressed by everything you do on and off the field. And we're really excited to cheer for you this upcoming Olympics. You are really, I mean, girl, you play in two positions. <laughs> you got your whole collective. Oh. Like, at some point, people better put some respect on put it. some okay. respect on my name thank you no, that part <laughs> that part now before anyone leaves my podcast you've already done nobody knows and we love fenty and the and chelsea and the crew okay but it's time for you to enter chanae's court where it's the hot seat okay so i'm going to ask you a question and you must 
answer okay okay all right i wish i had a cheat sheet but okay nope sorry can't do that <laughs> question number one who went the hardest on the victory tour sam lewis <laughs> okay mm -hmm. you said that quickly quick. quick that was an easy one yep <laughs> <laughs> Dang. i love it okay which celebrity probably went the hardest f during the victory tour I would say Ashlyn Harris and definitely Megan Rapinoe. Oh, outside of soccer, girl. Oh, outside of soccer. Um, yes. Gosh, I don't think I know an answer for that one. Because I was a little mm, mm, too. So anyway. <laughs> Wait, so are, are you telling me you probably don't remember everything I that went on after? I can't recall all these activities. <laughs> that is an the perfect <laughs> That is literally the perfect answer. Crystal, I love you, man. <laughs> Keep doing your thing. And we're so proud of you. And we're rooting for you all the way in Tokyo and beyond. Thank you. Appreciate it. So amazing to have Crystal Dunn join us today. She exemplifies everything that is great about the present and future of soccer. Now, to be an Olympian is the greatest honor for most athletes. And the process to select players should be held to the same exact standard. I would be remiss to not mention what my family's experience has been leading up to Tokyo. You see, my big sis Neka already has a resume that is exceptional. MVP, champion, led Team USA last year in scoring. Her accolades could fill up this whole podcast. And yet, she still gets overlooked and snubbed once again. You see, I get it. Injuries are affecting so many stars in so many sports. Yet she was not given the same opportunity, the same grace, the same respect as other stars, how many WNBA MVPs have been left off of an Olympic roster? Well, the answer is one. At the end of the day, you can only control what you can control and keep pushing through. That's what we do here. Hopefully this conversation sparks something new and resilient within you. It's your girl, Chanae, and I'll be here next week to hold it down once again.